You're listening to a VC short. These are shorter bonus episodes released only on our podcast, The VC Hour. These are a product of Radio ABC 993 FM, a ministry of African Bible University in Uganda. In the past, I've done a lot of Q&A episodes, and the big challenge with the Q&A episodes is managing the number of questions that come in and my availability of time. And so what I'm going to do now, I think, is to handle questions a little bit differently and just do a short episode like I'm doing here. Every time I get a good question, I think I'm just going to make an episode about it. That seems to be a much easier way to handle it. I've had people in the past who were a bit frustrated because it could take a while for me to get to the questions. I need enough questions, enough good questions at one time. This way, I hope the response will be a little bit more immediate. Thankfully, I met a listener in person recently, and he followed up to me by sending me an email, vchourofficial at gmail.com, or you can find me on social media as well. Uh, His name is Kato John. He asked me two great questions that I'm going to share with you today in just a short episode, along with some answers for those questions as well. John's first question was, how do I get a wife using Proverbs 18.22, Proverbs 19.14, and Ecclesiastes 9.9? Now, I think the heart of this question is really, what's the Bible's advice about getting a wife? Here in Uganda, as it is most places in the world, founding a spouse is a big deal. You may have heard some of my other episodes with our alumni, and they're often interested in getting married if they're not married about the marriage process if they're in that, and then, of course, about their marriages as well once they are married. Those are good and healthy concerns, and I think that's where John's question's coming from. But he did reference some specific passages, and they actually do have some good things to say about marriage, and I think they'll point us in the right direction, although I will add some additional verses to my answer as well, some other things I think we need to think about also from the wisdom literature. The first passage John mentions, Proverbs 18.22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says this, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. That's a really good list of passages, and I have to commend you, John, for trying to think about this topic biblically. Now, I want to say it kind of depends a bit on what you mean by how do I get a wife, because I think in these verses here we find out where getting a wife comes from. But before we get into that, I want to look at a few other verses that also talk about wives and husbands, finding them, keeping them, and what kind of wife you end up having. For instance, Proverbs doesn't just tell us about wives in Proverbs 18 and Proverbs 19, but also in Proverbs 5. I'll read to you verses 15 as well as verses 18 and 19. As I always tell you, make sure you go back and you read the verses that I give you in context so that you can be very sure that what I'm telling you is exactly what the Bible says. I can't encourage you enough that you need to hear God's Word and listen to God's Word above any man's teaching, including my own. This is what it says in Proverbs. Drink water 
from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? This is what Proverbs 5.23 says as it goes on. It explains why men sometimes are attracted to exactly the wrong type of woman. And it summarizes it this way. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So Proverbs asks a question in Proverbs 5 about how men get entangled with women that should never entangle them instead of loving the women that they ought to be loving. And the answer that it gives us in Proverbs 5 is a lack of discipline and because of folly. Ecclesiastes doesn't just teach us about wives in Ecclesiastes 9.9, but it also has this to say in Ecclesiastes 7.26. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. It's very interesting you start to put these passages together we see an interesting picture of relationship between men and women and finding the right wife. I appreciate you bringing these passages to bear. Allow me to give you some thoughts on the passages themselves. Your first question was, how could a man find a wife? How do I get a wife? And the answer from these passages, even the passages you gave me, is clear that a wife, a good wife, is from the Lord. A good wife is from the Lord. Notice that's exactly what it says in Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14. House and wealth are from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. That is, she is a gift from God. The enjoyment of life, part of which is having a wife that you love, is said to be part of your days that he has given you under the sun. It is a gift of life to us, as as we find in Ecclesiastes 9.9. By contrast, because a wife is from the Lord, we also find that when we don't do what the Lord says, we get the opposite of a good thing. Remember, it tells us that a certain type of man is foolish, he embraces death, And the reason for that is he has a lack of discipline, and Ecclesiastes teaches that the one that is pleasing to God escapes that type of person, but the sinner is taken in. So what that's telling us is that a wicked spouse is a type of judgment from God, just as a godly spouse is a gift from God. How then are young men snared? They're snared by chasing after women that they have no business chasing after by exercising a total lack of discipline, or another way of saying that is to be foolish. Remember, foolishness isn't just about intelligence and making right decisions from an analytical perspective, but there's also a moral component to foolishness as well. That is, God's told you the type of woman you should be looking for, but unfortunately, in our sinfulness, in our folly, we are intoxicated by wrong things, and we are tempted to pursue after what we should not pursue. 
oftentimes that woman may seem delightful to a certain type of person, but instead it actually ends up being more like a snare or a net, something you catch an animal or a person in, or binding you like fetters. It's irons around your arms. So it's, I think, a pretty clear picture to us that we ought to exercise wisdom about the type of woman that we're looking for. And that if we find her, that's the blessing from God. Now, this is where I have to say that there is a tendency in Christianity for us to be looking for a magic three-step program to everything. I trust, John, that that's not what you're asking for. You're not asking me to give you a three-step program that if you'll just do A and B and C, then you're going to find just the right woman at just the right time, because that would be to go beyond what Scripture actually teaches. But that doesn't mean that Scripture doesn't teach anything about this topic. What it teaches about this topic, by word and by example, is that when we pursue the Lord, all of these other good things are added to us, and that the Lord delights in our prayers. I hope you've been listening to the episodes on the Sermon on the Mount, because Christ has so much in that to tell us about our relationship of where we put our treasure and where we find our ultimate delight. So a young man, then, who is looking for a way to find a good wife ought to be delighting himself first in the Lord, that the Lord himself is the one who teaches us where our true delight is. It's in him, and then every good thing that he desires to bring to us flows from that. Secondarily, the scriptures teach us then that we should be prayerful people. We need to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, even for things like this. So as you desire a wife, your regular prayer life should include honest requests from yourself to God, not just that you would have a wife, but that the Father would protect her, that the the wife that he brings would be a woman who has been taught by her parents, by her church, by important people in her life about who the Lord is and how he would have her to act. That just as you should be praying that the Lord would help to keep you chaste, free from sexual sin and temptation, so too it's right for you to pray that she would be kept free of sexual impurity, from impure thoughts, and from pursuing things that she ought not to pursue. And that she would grow in her love for the Lord, and that she would learn to grow in love for you as well. In all these things, you're just praying good things for someone else, that they would be someone that the Lord would bring to you that you can delight in as a true and a pleasant gift from God for you. And of course, in all of this advice I'm giving, you may notice that a woman can pray exactly the same things that I just mentioned and live in exactly the same ways I just mentioned as she thinks about a husband that she desires as well. That it's perfectly good and right for a woman to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that every good thing, including a spouse, will be added to to her as well. And it's good and right that she would pray that the Lord would help her and help him as well to be the type of person that they ought to be. You, you see how, while this isn't a three-step program, it really is exactly the advice that God gives us about the desires of our heart. And in fact, we're told repeatedly in Scripture that the Lord delights in giving us the good desires of our heart. So obey God concerning the spouse also that he gives you. We often think about the spouse that we want, but allow me to add here that we ought to be faithful to the person that God is going to bring and faithful to the Lord 
in our own sexual purity as well. People who are not married, of course, ought to completely abstain from sexual intercourse of any type. Also, people who are married, that sexual relationship, as beautiful as it is, is limited only to that spouse. And so we ought to be be faithful, in a sense, before you're married, and be faithful also, of course, once you're married. And the Scriptures enjoin us to delight ourselves in our spouses. Here specifically talks about a man delighting himself in his wife. That That's a thing that he can seek after, to be delighted by her, to be intoxicated by her love. And in so doing, he can wisely reject all other forms of seduction or intoxication elsewhere. For the person who is unmarried, they should be seeking to be chaste. They should be following after the Lord casting their cares upon him, for he cares for us. I hope this answers your question, John. I I trust you weren't asking for a three-step program because the Bible doesn't give one. But I can tell you this, the answer to this is that it is good for you to desire a spouse, if that's the way that the Lord has uh, inclined your heart, that you should be praying for yourself to be the type of husband that you ought to be. You should be praying for your future wife as well, that the Lord would protect her, keep her, guide her, instruct her, and prepare you uh, for her as she is being prepared for you as well. John wrote with a second question. It's unrelated, but I think it's a really good question as well. He says, help me understand Hebrews 7, because it has so many characters in it, and it's related with tithes and the way that we give today. So what I'm going to give here is really just a brief overview of Hebrews chapter 7, and so you can get some idea there of what that chapter is about. It fits really well in the overarching book of Hebrews. Uh, The purpose of Hebrews chapter 7 is to teach that Jesus is our great high priest, but of course by saying that, that would raise a question for those of us who know the Bible, especially those of us who know about the Mosaic Covenant, because under Moses, the priests were all from the tribe of Levi, and Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. So some people will automatically reject Jesus as being the great high priest because they believe he can't qualify for great high priest not having come from the tribe of Levi. The author of Hebrews defends not only that Jesus is superior to Moses or that Jesus is superior to the angels or that Jesus' sacrifice is a superior sacrifice, all those sacrifices having pointed to him, but also The author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I did a whole episode in B-List Bible Character series about Melchizedek, this, this character that we find in Genesis, and he shows up again in the Psalms and here as well. You should definitely listen to that episode because I do a much more thorough job and spend a lot more time on him. And I think you'll understand Hebrews 7, as well as other chapters in the book of Hebrews as well, much more thoroughly after listening to that whole episode. If you didn't catch it live, you can always catch it at vchour.buzzsprout.com, where you can find all of my episodes. I think I have 88, 89, 90 episodes in there at this point. You can catch every single one, including the one on Melchizedek. I go into so much more detail on the full show on that topic about him. But for summary's sake, basically we find the origin of Melchizedek's story in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. And basically he's a mysterious priest, and he is a priest of the one true God, coming from the city Salem. 
and that city Salem is a forerunner of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem also referred to as Zion, which is a type of God's holy city. There, Melchizedek officiates a priestly sacrifice and serves communion of bread and wine. He also receives a tithe from Abraham. Jesus is like Melchizedek, but Jesus is better. He's a priest like Melchizedek, but he's a better priest. Psalm 110 and the author of Hebrews makes it clear that God the Son was in covenant with God the Father, that the Son would be a special type of eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek himself, not literally eternal, but Jesus and his sacrifice is eternal. In doing that, Jesus actually fulfills the promise of God for his people. Now, you asked a question about tithing, and the connection to tithing in Hebrews 7 is that while the Mosaic ceremonial law and civil law are shadows that have a reality in Christ Jesus, tithing itself was not part of the Mosaic ceremonial or civil law. In fact, Abraham, who was a special servant of God and a very unique covenant with God, nevertheless humbled himself to Melchizedek, who again provided communion and a way for Abraham to worship. So we have reason to believe that tithing is part of what believers should do today. Now, some quibble about the 10%. That's uh, essentially what tithing means. But there's no doubt that the New Testament church took up funds to redistribute to other congregations, that they did it on the Lord's Day. There's no doubt that there was uh, a picture of reliance upon God through their giving. And there's no doubt that the people were expected to pay their ministers a living wage. The picture that's used there is to not muzzle a working animal. So you can see he's reasoning from the lesser, that's an animal, to the greater, your minister. But the idea is, if you make sure that the animal that works for you gets to eat, how much more should the minister who works for you get to eat as well? So failing to do that is really failing to do what God says you should do, whether you want to quibble over the 10% or not. Now, I have to say, Hebrews 7 isn't really about tithing. It does mention it, but that's not really what it's about. The point of mentioning tithing here in that context was to demonstrate that the lesser tithes to the greater. Here in this story, Abraham, the forefather of God's people, tithed to Melchizedek. And that gives us a picture of the greatness of Christ, who is greater than both Abraham and the man that Abraham tithed to, Melchizedek. Jesus is better, and he is worthy of every honor. I hope this answers your question, Cato John. Uh, If not, feel free to contact me with clarification, and I'm really excited and able to make more episodes on this or other topics. You've been listening to the Vice Chancellor's Hour, a ministry of Radio ABC 993 FM on the campus of African Bible University. We hope this has been beneficial to your Christian walk and understanding. If it has, you can support the ministry of Radio ABC by going to AfricanBibleColleges.com and clicking on the Donate button. Don't forget to let them know it's going to the Uganda station. If you have questions about this or any other episode, please feel free to contact us at vchourofficial at gmail.com. We're also available through Instagram and Twitter 
as VC Hour official. We may answer your question on a future episode. Until next time, may the peace of God and the fellowship of God's people encourage your hearts. Proverbs 19.20... Again, the author says this in Ecclesiastes... Man, why am I having a hard time saying that?